0: WPSL, Port St. Lucie. Now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts this morning, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, morning and welcome Welcome to We Are Just Christians. Christians. We thank Thank you very much for tuning in today to the show. Hope you can stay with us for the hour. We'll be on until 10 o'clock here, live in Port St. Lucie
1: with our fingers crossed yeah apparently
0: there was a little bit of a glitch here technically when we got started i i hope it's worked out by now can't figure out what it is but uh we were doing the can you hear me now thing you know (laughs) that old commercial a few years ago with the station trying to figure all that out but anyway hope that you're there and we we thank you so much for tuning into the show please tell your friends about it if you enjoy it and we, we know that since it, the co- content varies from week to week, you know, one week you might enjoy it more than another, but hope that you'll find the format interesting and refreshing. That is that we talk about whatever is on people's minds or whatever is around us and try to relate that to the Bible, the spiritual things, so that we can be just Christians here in the 21st century like they were in the first century in the, begin- in the time of the Apostles. It isn't a magical time being in the first century, per se. It's the fact that uh, the first century church was governed directly by the apostles. And now we're governed by the word the apostles left us. And so we know that the things that that the New Testament approves of are approved by God. So we're going to go back and try to do those as much as we possibly can. That's the idea of being just a Christian, getting past the councils and creeds of men, the different traditions that people have. And that even includes the secular traditions that people, you know, come up with in their own in their own minds as to uh, how they ought to act. You know, as long as two consenting adults agree, it must be moral. You know, that kind of 21st century morality that we have. Or er-
2: everything you read on the internet's true. Yeah, it
0: must be true. We read it on. The, or you know, just just follow the experts and you'll be fine. That kind of thing. You know, we have a lot of different mor morality. Things going on today, different a replacement kind of morality. If it if it uh, if it makes someone happy, it must be right, must be good. This is the this is the secular traditions that have been established in our society um, during my lifetime, during Gary's lifetime, and so uh, we we talk about those kinds of things. But we appreciate you tuning in. The show is called "We Are Just Christians." Because of that, we want to go back and follow just the new, what the New Testament said. New Testament says. So if you call in, we're gonna to try to look at this look at what your question or comment is and compare that to the scriptures that we're familiar with, what we know, and give you a scriptural answer or something to look up. So you can take the scriptures we give. You can look them up. You'll have to decide for yourself if what we're saying is true or right. If it is, you need to follow it. If not, then you need to come up with something of your own from the scriptures that you can you can consistently See and defend is what the scriptures say.
2: Well, like you addressed earlier, Mike, uh, Jesus says in John 12:48, and I'm going to say it again. Everybody's probably getting tired of it, but he says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Basically, Jesus expects us to adhere to his word. He left his word to the apostles. He gave them the Holy Spirit who said they would bring his word to their memory so what is written in the new testament all of it is jesus word right and so that's what we're interested in
0: and that's why that's why we're going to follow what the new testament says as closely as we can and we're certainly going to go try back try to go back and take a look at that Now, now we can have discussions about how we arrive at the conclusions we do we can have discussions about the nature of the New Testament revelation how it even relates to the Old Testament and we use both Old and New Testament scriptures on this show those things are open for discussion and we can talk to you about our presuppositions everybody has presuppositions and a person who tells you they don't you really ought not to trust them very much either because they don't know what they're talking about or because they're trying to trying to uh, you know pull the wool over your eyes in some way and appear to be completely neutral when they're not like for so many years. People somehow believed that Walter Cronkite was neutral, and the major news media were just just reporting just the facts, and we now know that that was completely wrong. So I finally learned, yeah. Mike, that that's what they call gaslighting. Is that what it uh, is? I guess that's the new word for it. But everybody has a presupposition. The question is not whether you have presuppositions, because you do. The question is, have you thought them through, and can you defend them? And if you thought of the consequences of your presuppositions, the thing that you to go behind it? One of the fundamental presuppositions that we have on this show, Gary already referred to, and there's some there's some that are even more fundamental than this one, is that the scriptures are the inspired word of God, and therefore ought to, be, ought to be taken seriously, and that every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, as Jesus says, ought to be taken seriously by by us if we're concerned about spiritual things. And so that's a presupposition of the show. Now, we think that we can defend that idea that the scriptures are inspired and are are suitable, and as Paul says, will furnish us to every good work. Uh, we and we'll try to do that. From, if you ask questions, better from time to time. Uh, we also believe that there is one God, and He that God has a Son, Jesus Christ, who He sent to the world to die for our sins, and we're saved through the, through God's Son, Jesus Christ, by obedience to God's Son. God is coming back. The scriptures say. First Thessalonians to take vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we also believe that there is an obedience that's required because God is going to take vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel. And so obedience is required more so than just saying, I believe there's an obedience that's required. So we have reasons why we say the things we do and we invite you to come along, whether you agree or not. In fact, as I said before, we would love to talk to you if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ or even the Bible or God himself. That'd be great. And we're not going to use this as an opportunity to embarrass anyone or to harangue someone, anything like that. It would be an opportunity for for learning. And we'd love to hear what you have to say. So give us a call. You can reach We Are Just Christians. Almost forgot this, Gary. See if I get the number right this week. 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. Every once in a while, I get it in my head. It's my own cell phone. I keep talk, tell, saying that like I did last week. But the number to reach is through WPSL, 772-340-1590. And uh, Ray there at the station will put you right through to us. And we can have a conversation. We appreciate you calling in. Put you to the front of the line if possible. If you'd like to text us, that's another way you can communicate with We Are Just Christians, 772 772- Two six zero six one two zero and seven seven two two six zero six two two zero those are the kind of those are the text numbers that you can use during the show now. We'll try to respond if we can on the air or you can text us during the week and we'd be glad to receive your text numbers and so we'll talk about some of the things about this this and about our web uh, our website and podcasts and things like that a little bit later on
2: Well, I'd like to mention one other thing about the presuppositions, Mike there's one presupposition I believe Mike and I both have if if you're reading and studying the Bible and you encounter two passages with an apparent contradiction that doesn't mean the Bible contradicts itself it just means that we don't understand one or both of those passages correctly and and that's one of the methods of study that we we look to and I think that's an important one right and Basically, if you have some one of one of those things that we're looking forward to are calls concerning if you have problems with passages that you think are contradictory in their
0: nature, let's talk about. them. Yes, yes. if you want to talk about but, and we've had a couple of, a couple yeah. of texts and calls about the apparent Bible contradictions. We believe there's a unity in the Bible, even though it's written by over 40 different men over 1500 years, different cultures, different languages. We believe there's a unity in the Bible. Since it is God-inspired word overall, and it fits together remarkably well in all those cases, and so, and and the usually these what are called contradictions can be easily understood or explained when you take Gary's approach there. Well, Gary, I, you know, uh, I, I've had this in my little stack here for, I'm going to spring this on you here. This is a new thing. Well, we never we never
2: talk about the subject in advance. <laughs> we don't hardly, yes, we hardly rarely, ever. Rarely
0: talk. do uh, that, and that that's kind of on purpose, and kind of developed that way, so that we can come at it with a fresh perspective. It may leave us both wondering what the other one's talking about to some degree, but but the fact is, um, it we try to we try to have the same kind of attitude about these things as you do. We run across things all the time. So we're going to give it our first thought, then we're going to take a look at the scriptures and see what it says. So I got this article here I pulled out of off of somewhere uh, three or four weeks ago. Oh, back early in February, it says on here, I didn't know it was that long ago, called Faith in the Metaverse, a virtual reality quest for community and fellowship, VR quest it's called. This is there's this. Um, there's this, this movement.
2: Is this going along with I read an article about this uh someone who is trying to start a virtual reality church? Yeah,
0: VR VR church it's called. Okay. Yes. And so um under quarantine for COVID nineteen exposure, Garrett Bernal and his family missed a recent Sunday church service, so he strapped on a virtual reality headset. Now I've never seen one, I've never used a virtual reality headset. Where you put on the glasses, the whole thing the encases your eyes, and then the only thing you can see is what's shown in these glasses, basically on screens in front of you. And it's supposed to be immersive, and, and you. Can well, it education. well it is.
2: Uh, one of my sons-in-law has one and is, enjoys it, and um, he had a virtual reality tour of, uh, I believe, the Grand Canyon. And since it's it's 3D, it's it's basically just like you're looking out of a window. And you can move your head and, and look everywhere, and it encompasses the span of your vision. It is very impressive. At least I found it very impressive when when I looked at it. It's one of the things that's now coming up. Uh, uh, my grandson, one of my grandsons, is in, involved in aviation, and he likes these uh, aviation programs where they <clears throat> they can fly uh, old airplanes, World War Two, World War One modern jets and so on and you get these virtual reality things and you can actually look around and see what's going on and it 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 makes for a very real situation of course you don't get killed when you get shot down but so you get to learn a lot
0: you get to learn huh
2: yeah you get to learn and basically what i found out mike is that is a good way for uh, for uh, as a teaching tool they tell me that uh, fighter pilots actually do
0: benefit quite a bit from this oh I have no <laughs> doubt that it is a very useful technology that is, this isn't uh, that's not what the, that this article is about something a little bit different see what you're seeing in those is actual scenery maybe from been photographed at the Grand Canyon and um, so it is reality in that sense but but this was about the idea that he um, uh, the headline, the subhead says, D- Pastor D.J. Soto, the lead pastor of VR Church, the virtual reality church, delivers a sermon in his home Sunday, January 23rd a picture. He preaches, sings, and performs digital baptisms in the metaverse to a growing congregation of avatars. So <clears throat> the only oh, thing yeah. you're seeing are avatars of other people, and they might be, you know— a uh, horse head from a chess set is this person's avatar or a fairy or something like that. <clears throat> and then, then these people, then they, they end up wanting to be baptized. So he baptizes these um, uh, avatars. They have communion digitally. And this is where it's interesting. He says uh, he was, he, he found himself when he hooked on his headset and, and um, he was floating In a 3D outer space wonderland of pastures, rocky cliffs, and rivers as the avatar of a pastor guided him and others through a computer-generated illustrations of Bible passages that seemed to come to life as they prayed. I couldn't have had such an immersive church experience sitting in my pew. I was able to see the scriptures in a new way, said Bernal, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, widely known as the Mormons. And so apparently this has grown in popularity somewhat exponentially or at least somewhat growing because of the <clears throat> people not going to church because of uh, COVID. COVID. And so um, that's why it's coming up. So uh, ranging from spiritual meditations in a fantasy world to traditional Christian worship services with virtual sacraments and hyper-realistic church-like environments – So you could actually just, you could actually be having your church service in St. Peter's Basilica in your living room, and you could substitute the people that really would be there with whoever you put there, whatever avatars. I'm sure you can do whatever you want to with it. It offers, some, the devotees say it offers an experience of fellowship that's just as genuine as what can be found in a brick-and-mortar temple, The most important aspect to me, which was very real, was the closer connection with God that I felt in my short time here, Bernal said. So he felt a closer connection with God, and that was the most important thing in this. So anyway, this has been around, this VR church, and I'm sure I've got a bunch of people scrambling on on their computer to find vrchurch.org. I think it's (laughs) vrchurch.org is where it is. Uh, They're scrambling around to find this site um, and so forth. They, um, (laughs) I don't know. I I have a problem with the idea that this is somehow a substitute for in-person worship experiences. And we're going to come back to that. But we did get a text. John says, "I, I learned to fly using Microstructure flight simulator When I did my first Real <laughs> flight in Fort Pierce I landed The plane the instructor was Amazed so that's what you're Saying yeah that has a very Good usage for yeah, exactly. Simulating flight because you might Die otherwise
2: well it has uh, Has such uh, <coughs> can, I mean the airline Pilots have been doing Microsoft, this with Microsoft
0: yeah. flight simulator. Yeah
2: the airline pilots have been doing this for quite a long time, but they have quite expensive simulators. Now we're getting into the realm where we can, we can actually do this at home uh, with these uh, virtual reality devices. It's uh, I I think it's, it's a very good tool, but I'm like you, Mike, I'm I'm skeptical as to just how this is done, because basically if you're going to, How are you going to represent bible study stories and things like that with without having some very accurate representations of our knowledge or understanding of of scripture it's just it seems to me that whatever you do has to have that understanding to from our standpoint the bible is the inspired word of god so how do you replicate that in a in a basically virtual reality devices is uh, well, it fills me with apprehension in some ways. Well, I think I think
0: that um, well, the, the real question has been and this is why this is kind of funny to me, because so many people, e- even among people that would agree with me about a lot of other issues during this pandemic are like, oh, yeah, well, there's no big problem with with the uh, Zoom church. It's just no big deal at all. And it's just the same as real church. And it's just as good and all this kind of stuff. And I disputed that from day one. I just don't yeah. think that's true. I don't think it ever will be true. And I don't think that's the future of the church, as it were. Now, we have nothing against technology. We're doing this show with computers and Skype and, you know, all kind of junk. And I plan on using PowerPoint presentations as soon as we get done here, go to Bible class. We've got nothing against the technology that can help people. And like you're saying, it maybe has uses in training and so forth. Uh, but, yes. but to say that somehow this technology brings you closer to God. Because you can float around in outer space is really missing the point of what the Bible says it means to feel closer to be close to God and being close to God is not a matter of feeling close to God. A lot of people the the woman who set fire to those churches and synagogues in Connecticut this week felt very close to God God told her to do that she said so she felt very close to God what do you think about that I, I think that that's missing the point entirely of New Testament revelation about being close to God and, and, and obeying God. Now the, the idea here is that um, now here, here's another aspect of this, Gary, that when I read this article, I don't know, maybe we, if you want to call in, maybe I'm all, maybe I'm all wet about this. Maybe you can straighten me out. If you know you callers out there, seven, seven, two, three, four, zero, 1590. It says, one of the reasons we've become so popular is that you get the meditation that you need, but you Get the community also. So he says you get community in this situation. We have deep relationships, hundreds of people from around the world who know each other and wonder, is your dog okay? How's your wife? Well, I don't know what kind of church they've been going to before that. And this is the problem. Uh, uh, My grandmother attended a Catholic church, most all of her, she was a Roman Catholic all of her life. and, And when she came and visited where I was, uh, preaching one time when I was a young very young man before she passed away she couldn't get over the fact that we all knew each other so well and were like family with each other and treated each other like we were family when we were at church because I go to the Catholic Church I go in I sit down I go home I don't know anybody there. I've been going there for 45 years 50 years I don't know anybody so if that's your background of what church is coming in and sitting down and trying to trying to feel humble for a few minutes you're missing what the New Testament says church is about it's a family. It's commun- communication with each other, and it's about growing together as as a, a group of people. It's a body and the family of God. Now that's the way church ought to be. And if you don't have that, I guess this metaverse could could appeal to you. Then you have this aspect, Gary. I got. Th- I had to think about. I had to think about this for a while. He says the anonymity of virtual reality can help people feel more confident about sharing deeply personal issues
2: well wait 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 a minute now he, here's what i run into a lot he just said he got all the community and closeness out of it now he just says he's getting anonymity well, yeah how, is, how do you
0: how, how do you reconcile that, those two together th- this is uh, this is the point i'm making yeah this is not the same thing so he says um or at least his community
2: is not what i define as community
0: I can't even count the number of times I've heard I'm considering <clears throat> suicide. It's helpful that we're in virtual reality. And so he says, on a recent Sunday, he preached at a cavernous virtual cathedral. I guess one that they would created. It's long halls illuminated by light from stained glass windows. None of this, of course, is in the Bible. It's a way of, n- Stained glass windows, tall ceilings, cathedrals are not how you get close to God, according to the Bible. That's not what brings you close. That might alter your physical feelings, but that's not how what closest to God is about.
2: Well, it's, not what, goes, it's not what God
0: defines as being close no. to him. He says, a colorful assembly of avatars. Listen to the sermon. Avatar is a, an image you put up on a computer screen to represent yourself. It's not you. It doesn't even need to look like you it's just something that you use to represent yourself it in other words it comes out of your imagination not out of reality avatars are not based on reality they're based either on your wishes so it makes you makes you more handsome with more hair or it makes you something else that you're not they're not based on reality so i'm not sure how you receive counseling when you're not based in reality but anyway a a colorful assembly of avatars listen to the sermon a giant banana sitting on the first pew next to another man in a shirt and tie, plus a mushroom, a fox, and armored knights. At the end, they took turns sharing why they came to virtual community and so forth.
2: That's quite a picture in my mind, particularly the armored knight sitting
0: there. I know. A person with the username Biff Tannen, which is (coughs) obviously not his real name, said it was convenient. For example, here in Scotland, it's cold, it's wet, it's not very nice outside. But here I am sitting in this beautiful church with my heating on. Another represented by a robot avatar and the username Uncle Tuscal said that as a person with social phobia, it's easier for me to be here than in a physical church. Virtual reality can allow people to meet without judgment, regardless of physical ability or appearance, said Paul Bush, who is a senior advisor for public affairs and so forth. And so... Um, Now, can you see any good there? Well, perhaps on certain circumstances, yes. I I can see the need for uh, some kind of websites where you can sign on anonymously, ask questions about sex or what you might be problems with sexual deviancy or other desires where perhaps you can talk about suicidal feelings without your friends knowing about. I I know that there's a benefit to that. I understand that. That's why, for example, even in more traditional churches, you have clergy clergy what is it called? It privilege, right? Parishioner privilege, where where they don't. And and I tell people when they talk to me, uh, what you say to me is going no further than with me, unless you wanted to for some reason. So now, now of course, the law steps in and says there's some things you you have to report. So you got to be careful. That's where these laws that seem to benefit people can actually harm people. Because a person who who has sexual deviancy, some desires, they wouldn't ever tell me that because they know I'd have to report that to the police, at least in their view. And so they don't say that. So you stifle any help that they can get uh, because of the mandatory reporting. But that's another subject. But the point is there's a place for that. But that isn't what church is about. Church is about people knowing you. And you are not a robot, or a knight, or a banana. That's what you that's what you throw up there. What the reason you put a banana as your avatar? There's a simple reason you do that, Gary. is so people won't know you. So to say it's help people know you is an odd thing. It, you're you're throwing up something so people can't know you, because I'm not just. What I look like on the outside, I'm all of me, I'm, and, and that includes what I'm on the outside, how I dress, how I act. You know, I, I, I'm an old white man with a traditional haircut, and you know, uh, that's what I am. I can't, I'm not going to try to fix that and be something I'm not to somebody. I want them to love me for being me, and you don't have to be an old white man to be loved, but it's what it is. So the Christianity deals, strangely enough, people think religion is about dealing with stuff that's not real. Christianity is about as real as you get, because you have to be you, and you have to change you and you, through, through the power of God. You have to come to know you, and, and so forth. So I, that's my fundamental problem with VR church, not with the technology of virtual reality, is this very issue of we all just need to be anonymous, and somehow we can be close to each other. The more anonymous we are, the closer we can be to each other. And, and the, more, uh, the more I feel about God, the better I can be close to God. Well, that, that doesn't make you close to God, how you feel about him. In fact, there are times when you probably should feel a, not close to God. When you're living a life of sin, openly rebelling against God, and your conscience is trying to tell you something, what do people do? They do like Job. They run away and hide. They run away and they hide somewhere. And that's the problem that people have. It isn't. It isn't that they they can't get close to God. They're doing. they they're in their either either real or imaginary guilt is pushing them away from God. Not all guilty feelings that people have are real guilt. Some are imaginary guilt or guilt that is not real. Uh, but sometimes we run away from God because of because we don't we want to do what we want to do, and so we go and hide.
2: Well, there's there's an interesting. We quote this passage a lot, Mike, but not in relative to the subjects. I think it's Hebrews 10:24, He says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. In considering one another to stir up love and good works, you have to have
0: some knowledge of that person. The word consider there, Gary, is an interesting Greek word. It doesn't mean... Just think about in some loose way Jesus says consider the Lilies of the field They had seen Lilies in the field all their lives He's saying I want you to think about deeply think about What is what's really there What it really means And when he says the same word he used it Consider One another he's saying I want you to deeply Consider and think about your neighbor Your Christian friend or your neighbor And think about what it is about them that they really need, what they need from you, how you can love them properly. And and not just to be critical of them, but how you can how you can encourage and help and strengthen. So this is the consider. And that happens. That's connected. The point you're making, I suppose, that's connected directly with the assembly. It's connected. Do not forsake this assembly. Because that's where the considering is to take place, and the stimulation, as some versions say, to to love and good works is happening in this assembly,
2: well, face-to-face. And, and my point is a little more detailed. Not in, in that, me,
0: not, not banana to robot.
2: In okay. The considering or the thinking thoroughly through has a purpose, is to stir up love and good works in one, which means that takes some thought. Because something said to someone that you might think would encourage them often does not. Right. You have to consider those
0: things. Right. And that's where, that's where let your speech be under edifying. You have to think about what actually the person is. Sometimes they need a rebuke. Sometimes they need correction. Sometimes they need, just need encouragement. That's where the thinking and the prayer comes in. And you get to see this and know this. And if you're going to a church where you can't, where people don't ask you, how's your wife? Even how's your dog? Maybe you need to think about that. Uh, we got a caller, but I want to hold on just a second, Jerry. I want to finish what I'm saying. You know, something, this will sound self-serving, and I really don't mean it that way. But I've been on the Internet since before there was an Internet. Back when I would communicate with people with a uh, uh, 128K baud modem, and we'd send little (laughs) files back and forth for printing and things like that, and there was no Internet.
2: Or when the, when the biggest uh, hard I was the, when the biggest hard drive you had was a twenty twenty k or yeah and,
0: and 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 there was no way to communicate and back when genie was the popular modern uh, communication and I was one of the first hundred thousand subscribers to America Online so I've been on the internet a long time and in all that time it never occurred to me to use something besides my real name so all of these websites. I'm, I'm something a little different on eBay because my real name somehow it got closed down initially or something, and I couldn't get it. So I made up a, a, a business that I operate a chicken thing and use that. But everything else is my name, and and uh, it never occurred to me that that we should be u- I should be using something besides who I am. And I put a profile picture. Well, I put my picture on there. I kind of thought that's how you live life. But apparently I was wrong in most people's estimation because as soon as uh, young people began to join it, they all gave fake names, fake pictures. You have no idea. Even on Facebook, people do not put their picture on their Facebook account. They put some kind of graphic or uh, even their grandkids' picture or something. They don't even put their picture. So do you really know who you're dealing with? You don't. And and that's that's a serious problem to me in general. Not Sa- about, Same thing
2: is true it, of email addresses. My email address is my name.
0: And that's mine, too. It's long and it's cumbersome, but it's my name. So people know who they're writing. Well, at least they probably should know who they're who they're talking to. You, you and I are dealing face to face as real people, warts and all, literally with that. And that's a way of thinking. I think that's the personally I think that's the proper way of thinking in general. I'm not saying you can never use. Uh, another name I, I'm, I'm saying in general it's a way of approaching life and if you approach religion differently then uh, Well you, religion a, religion
2: Jesus Christ is your life if you are close to him Right that's what I can say His his word is your life if you are close to him
0: well, the, and and the if, other,
2: It's not that
0: there's no other way the other thing you, that comes into play and, and I know Jerry's on the phone but hang on one second is people use these use these um, aliases or or avatars because they'll tell you, well, I've been judged in all these other places. What they mean is, people don't like the fact that I'm transsexual and so they criticize me, or or something along that line. For no, number one is you need to be living a life that you're not ashamed of, and number two you've got to let you've got to figure out how to stop letting people. Cr- mean so much that you'll you che- that you have to hide from them you find some friends that don't treat you like that or you change your behavior so you can be accepted by people in a general way and stop letting people's what you call judgment alter your life into some kind and push you into a fantasy world the problem is i mean you can boil it all down to why are you letting these people push you into a fantasy world and somehow you think Somehow we think that VR church is going to solve the problem of reality. Christianity is about solving problems in real life, not in a virtual life.
2: Christianity
1: is about reality.
0: It's, it's reality. All right. Well, we got. To, we may have to abandon this. Subject. We need to take a phone call. Are you there, Jerry?
1: Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was wondering in uh, basic psychology, uh, Psychology one hundred and one, basic psychology, uh, uh, Maslow, hierarchy. I don't know if you were able to understand me. Uh, Yep, I got you. uh, Yeah, Maslow Hierarchy, a book that was mandatory. uh, It was about Abraham Maslow, was a writer who wrote this book. And he had been in one of those camps in the Second World War. And and so we were just starting out in psychology. uh, That's uh, a mandatory reading. And I'm calling because I think it's so important that uh, we never forget what happened, you know. And I uh, uh, will forgive and I will forget. But I wondered how you felt about the the part about forgive. How do you you know do that? And uh, again, the name of the book is Maslow Hierarchy. And I just like to get your comments on that. That's all, Mike. Well, well, uh, <laughs> Jerry, let
0: me ask let me ask you something real quick. Are you wanting to know about forgiving and forgetting? Is that the main yes, thing you want yes. to talk how about? Do you? Forgiving and forgetting. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right, very good. Well, thank you for calling. I appreciate right. it very much. Great. Yeah, yeah, Matthew, um, Abraham Maslow, and, and I, listen, lots of people uh, really love this pyramid of hierarchies, uh, hierarchical needs. Other people find fault with that, uh, and I think there are some ba- real basic criticisms that can be leveled at this. But I think there's also uh, certainly an element of truth.
2: I've seen it, but it's been so long ago. Yeah,
0: safety is uh, the second one, so they're going to jump up to safety.
2: And I, and I didn't, I didn't take that as part of my my curriculum. So I've seen it outside of classroom, but I haven't, I haven't looked at it in depth or yeah, in
0: part. But well, you got physiological safety. Then they they seek uh, love and belonging. And once the once the need is met at one level, then the motivation will decrease to Pursue that. So if you feel that you're physically okay and you're safe, then you're going to feel more free to pursue love and belonging uh, as as a main object in life. And then esteem. And finally, self-actualization, which is um, having your needs to grow met, feeling like a whole person. And I would say living in a prosperous, affluent society. One of the reasons we have what we do today is because I think Maslow would say that so many of us in Western society are functioning at the top of the pyramid and that we only, we're only concerned about self-actualization. And that's why something like COVID completely disrupted our society in a way that it might not have in the 1930s because people's, people were, so, were thrown back down to a safety uh, need which completely threw them out of their normal world in a way that they'd never experienced before. Now, I I think it's uh I have other criticisms of that whole process there, but the point is that in in looking at this pyramid and so forth, as far as as far as forgiveness and forgetting, this has to do with love, I think love and belonging with esteem and eventually self-actualization. The and I was Having a discussion with, I've discussed this many times over the years, probably preached some sermons. I think you can go back in our archives on wearejustchristians.com. If you go back in those archives, you'll find a couple different sermons I've preached on forgiving, forgiveness, forgetting, and so forth. Uh, There's this debate among Christians about whether you have to forgive things that are not forgiven what's the fundamental basis of forgiveness, what is forgiveness, and so forth. And I personally believe that there's a lot, a lot of confusion in this regard. And some of the teachings of Jesus are, I think, misused. And I, I don't have any idea if Gary agrees with me about this or not. But but uh, I, I believe what the Bible says, Jerry, Pe- Peter asks, should I forgive my brother seven times? He thought he was being generous by, I should forgive my, if my brother sins against me seven times, should I forgive him? And Jesus says, uh, what? No, you you need to forgive your brother 70 times seven. Okay. Now, l- let me go and, uh, let me go and get the exact passage. I-, I don't think that that passage is saying there that it's even possible. Uh, I must have, uh I typed in the wrong search words here
2: well one of the uh, first uses of the word in 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 the new testament is matthew 6 in the sermon on the mount uh in the form of forgive but it's used there in an interesting verse of me and it says and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors uh, the definition of the word in, in terms of sin is actually to remember no more i believe it's it's actually to forget it's the
0: idea of not holding yeah. it against somebody Right. Right. Uh, If it's if it's about not not ever not even remembering it, then Jesus is telling us to have amnesia. I don't really think that's what he's saying. It's the idea of practicality, holding it holding it as a live, living thing that you're holding out there. You got to get rid of it.
2: But but basically, we're not computers, so we're not able to, you know, be careful when you tell a a
0: memory. yeah, Yeah,
2: be be careful when you tell a computer to forget. Right. Okay.
0: But the word forgive in the Old Testament has the meaning to send away. It's the idea of the scapegoat. It literally means to send away, and, and so you send it away from you, and you don't hold it close to you anymore.
2: Or to, or the idea of to look over to not see, right? Those, those things. Now, in verse fourteen of the same chapter, he says, "For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, no. neither will your fa- Father forgive your trespasses." There's there's a there's a little bit of interaction in how God treats you as to how you treat
0: others. And, and I think fundamentally, and it goes with this passage I quoted, which we'll read in a moment. I think fundamentally, what God is saying there, he it's not an indication that whenever anybody does anything wrong to me, I'm to immediately forgive them and not do anything about it, not say anything about it. I, I'm that's not the I or never remember it again when they do something wrong. The idea is I need to be willing to forgive. If I expect God to forgive me, I have to be willing to forgive. Now, people are not willing to forgive, though. Like you say, they hold things against you forever and ever, even when you do, even when you try to make it right. Even when you don't even know that you've done anything wrong to them, they hold it against you, you see. For example, Jesus says in Matthew 18, Peter came to him, verse 21, Matthew 18:21. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall I forgive how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. So, can my brother sin against me seven times and I have to forgive him? And he says, that, and I think Peter was trying to be generous here. And Jesus said to him, I say not to thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. So, and another passage says, seven, sin against you seven times in a day, thou shalt forgive him. Matthew 18. Now, is it possible, Gary, is it literally possible in one day for someone to sin against you seven times? I walk up to you. I punch you square in the jaw, knock you to the ground. You're barely conscious. And I, oh, my goodness, Gary, I'm so sorry. I don't know what came over me. And I drag you back to your feet, dust you off. Can you ever forgive me? Yeah, Mike, I'm sorry. You're kind of puzzled, but I'm sorry. I, I mean, I, I know you're sorry and I forgive you. And I see you again a couple of minutes later and I do the same thing, knock you to the ground, blood of your nose, pick you back up. Oh, Gary, I'm really sorry. You got to forgive me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Uh, I got carried away. And I do this seven times in a day. Uh, and I'm supposed and he says now then multiply that by 490 times. Do you think Jesus is talking about some realistic event here? No. He's not talking He's talking about, about my willingness to forgive you. If you re, if can a person even repent it 7 times in a day? Can you really change your mind about something, completely turn the direction you're going 7 times in one day? No. Well, that's not repentance.
2: There there's another aspect of it too, I think that does it does it demand repentance if you're going to forgive and there are certain circumstances well that's kind of what i'm getting at and i i i, I don't think it demands repentance I, i'm i'm of the situation that there <clears throat> excuse me there are people that may sin against me and not even know they've done so now should i go to them yes when i can Should I go to them and try to straighten that out? Yes, I'll say yes, I should. But sometimes the
0: circumstances don't don't permit that. Well, and I don't think that you're under an obligation to forgive necessarily under an obligation to forgive. Well, I have a
2: comparison. If they haven't
0: even if they haven't even asked you for forgiveness, they may spit in your face when you go to
2: them. Maybe so, but basically I've got a comparison that I have to think about. Do I know every time I've sinned against God? the answer is i'm not convinced that i know everything every time i sinned against god so how is he going to treat me as i treat others and i'm I'm not of the thought that one has to basically someone has to come and ask forgiveness every time i don't think that's necessary well i think i think 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 you can i think you're
0: basing your forgiveness in those cases on what you do know about that person If you don't know about that person and they've treated you shamefully for a long time, you may not have you may not be willing to forgive them. And I think you might be justified because Jesus tells me if my brother sins against me, go to him and tell go him to his him. fault. And so my, the obligation is to go and confront this person. The obligation. is, Oh, no, I'm not going to bother. I don't want to confront him. And, and that's not the, that's not the Christian way that, that that that. But the idea that I don't have to hold a grudge. Now, I agree with that holding a grudge. And forgiving are two different things. So what Jesus, but my point about the passage like the seventy times seven are. Look at what's being taught. What's being taught there is that a person uh, needs to be willing to forgive at every opportunity. The father, the, the father saw his son coming back home a long way off, ran on his to his to him and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's the attitude we have to have. And that's God's attitude about forgiveness. But the son was coming back home. That's that's part of the that's part of the equation that is left out of some of these passages because he's talking about my willingness to forgive. Does God forgive if we don't repent? Well, that's a good question. I'd say, generally speaking, the answer is no. In general, God does not forgive unless we repent.
2: Well, He set some con. When I, I go back to do. Do I know every time that I have? No, but if
0: God knows you're praying to God every day, forgive me of my wrongs. Or or he knows I've answered
2: the gospel. I've answered the commands he said. Then he knows something about me. He knows what I'm trying to do.
0: Oh, that's what I'm saying. He, He knows you. He knows something about you. That's the same thing about you with another person. You know this person, so you can do that. But when they repeatedly do the same thing over and over again, I think the Bible demands that I confront them about that and that they be taught, taught to repent. I mean, how, how can the church even practice what it does in what we talk about it in Matthew 18? When a brother won't repent, you finally, he becomes a Gentile and a publican to you. Can't practice that if the idea is, well, I just forgive him and go on. Uh, we had a man that was molesting children in the church, and when he, was, when he was confronted about it, the people said, oh, well, they just, need, they just need to forgive and let bygones be bygones. Now, I have to tell you, Gary, I wouldn't do that. I said, that's not right. It's not right for him to be let off of being confronted with his sin so you can feel better about yourself. On the other hand, what you're saying is true. We need to be willing to forgive. They need to try to meet that man as close as they can to him and help him to be forgiven. We had a text from from Jeff. Sometimes we have to make the choice to consciously forgive someone for what they've done so that we can cope and move on day after day, 70 times that. Well, I agree with that. And that's the, that's a part of holding a grudge. That That's well, the difference in those and, two and things.
2: Basically there's that aspect of God's relationship to you. He said, Jesus has another place. You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you? Do? That's part of you know. I know.
0: That's part of that attitude. But, but, and, my, and my question is, and that's right. Except, does did does God, even though he sends rain on the just and unjust, does he forgive the unjust without repentance? And the answer is no. Well, and That's the problem we have. That, that, I'm saying this is a conundrum. It's a problem. Because yeah, and even does God Stephen, expect more of us than he does himself? I, I don't know.
2: And even Stephen, as he was being executed, so to speak, said, do not lay this sin at their feet. I
0: know. Whether, Did whether, God do that or not? That, Did God that's, lay it at their God. feet?
2: Yeah, but there's another attitude <laughs> there.
0: Do and, not and lay and this. That's, and that's the point I'm making. My attitude might be, I, I'm going to... Uh, Uh, not I'm going to forgive if I possibly can. I'm going to try to forgive. But when uh, I've used this example, I think in a lesson of the day, when Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do on the cross. Did God forgive those people? He did not forgive them. Because 40 days later on the day of Pentecost or 50 days later, Peter charged them with murder and said they needed to repent and be baptized or they would be lost. God had not forgiven them, even though Jesus prayed for it. So there's the attitude of my being willing to forgive.
2: But that was only one aspect of their sin. You know,
0: basically well, that, that they, may be. But I'm saying I don't think that God did what Jesus prayed for there just because he prayed for. it. And I don't think. Well, here's the other issue to consider. Does the fact that I forgive somebody absolve them of responsibility?
2: No, no, not before not God. At all. Not before that, God at that's, all. That's why I don't think there's that's a, the other issue. I don't think that's a conundrum between your forgiveness and his basically his Forgiveness means a lot, okay.
0: But but if I if I love somebody and I say ah, forget about it and I let them go on and keep doing wrong and never confront them about their wrong, and God hasn't forgiven them, how how am I loving them well, I, by I'm allowing not, them to I'm continue in God's judgment? I'm not, I'm not
2: saying that. what what we said before. If there's an opportunity, bring it to them. Yes. You know we need to we need to get those things straightened out. I but think this so, is sometimes this is that does not exist, and I think that. People die. We can't. We can't. I I, I did
0: people wrong when I was a young man, and I can't go back. They're dead. They're it's long past.
2: Okay. And when that happens, maybe there are circumstances. I don't know what God does in every case. But
0: there needs to be a change, a a change in my heart before I can be forgiven for wronging them. Uh, I have to change. They might even forgive me, and God doesn't forgive me because I haven't changed my attitude about that. I, do the, I would do the same thing tomorrow. Now, now we've got a couple of texts on this real quick. Well,
2: that, that statement of Jesus there on the cross, forgive them, has often puzzled me because basically Jesus had the power on earth to forgive sins right there.
0: That's the point. That's part of the point I'm making. That's the. He That's had the power the on earth to
2: forgive sins right there,
0: and he did in one case. My question is not did he pray to be for them to be forgiven immediately? My question was, my, my point about that is God did provide a way, way for them for to, them be, to for, be forgiven. forgiven. And, and that was going to, to be shown it. to them in Acts chapter two when Peter preached the gospel. He did but, provide that way and he didn't hold it against them forever. You'd think of the kind of thing that God would never forgive, crucifying his son. But no, there was a way. And so we have to give people an opportunity, a chance to be. For, see, some people won't even give you a chance to ask for forgiveness, they that, that's the other side of this coin. Some people will never seek forgiveness and some people will never grant forgiveness. And Jesus, I think, is talking here about that side of the problem when he says forgive him 70 times in one day. They will not um, we won't, people won't even let you allow you the opportunity to ask for forgiveness or to even when you ask for forgiveness, you know, they kick you to the curb and curse you. And I've had that happen to me. And so I know it's real, and this is the thing Jesus is talking about. Now, John texts in, you know you have forgiven when you don't think about it anymore. And that's right, but why does that happen? Does that happen because you get amnesia? Well, the the only way, if you've been seriously sinned against, the only way it happens that you stop thinking about what somebody did to you is when they have demonstrated by their life and repeated behavior that they no longer think the same way that they did. You, you don't no longer expect them to act the way they did because they've repented, in other words. And therefore, you stop thinking about it. Uh, but he also says you don't have to see or talk to them anymore. Yeah, does, does forgiving somebody mean you have an automatic restoration of the relationship exactly as it was before? Huh. I wonder. Uh, so a man steals, embezzles from your company, steals a million dollars comes to you and falls on his knees and asks you to forgive him, do you immediately restore him to being treasurer of your company again? There's a question for you. Um, A man man molests your children, or a woman molests your children. Do do you immediately make them the child's babysitter again? Uh, Obviously, we know the answer to those questions.
2: Yeah, but I'm not sure that's uh, within the realm of forgiveness is what we're well talking if you about if
0: forgive and forget we say and that's the question Jerry asked how does forgetting involve it
2: in do, do you oh we don't look at in in an instant and
0: not forget glad. means not to hold it against them anymore and it means to put it out of, out of the way I don't think forget here means that it, you rest, everything gets restored back to the way it was you, you remember when uh, God showed the example of uh, through Hosea, Hosea's life and Gomer. His wife committed adultery against him. And this was an analogy between God, God and Israel. And Hosea took her back, but as it were, he did not resume the normal relationship of a wife for quite a while because he, she had not proved himself to do this. Uh, someone texts in and says, I was able to forgive my dad once, once I realized I was older than he was when he died. I was able to understand the stresses of life myself and how those stresses can lead to uh, addiction. And you probably and and he goes on to say you cannot probably cannot achieve self-actualization, which is the highest level of this hierarchy. With while holding unforgiveness and resentment, and I believe that's true. I I believe that's correct. That's the point I'm making. You don't have to hold a grudge or be resentful. You need to not let the sun. But the answer to not holding a resentment is found in Ephesians 4, verse 25, where it says, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. That's how you stop holding resentment. You go deal with the problems. If people have hurt you or done wrong, you go deal with those problems as soon as possible, and you fix the problem. To whatever extent you can, and as much as Paul as it lies within you, Paul says, "You be at peace with all men." So and, that's and the pathway, not just saying, "Well, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna just get everybody. Nobody can hurt me. I don't believe that." Well, I'm gonna go back to, uh,
2: to the point that God deals with us. In, look out! Uh, God deals with with us in many ways, not just forgiveness, as we deal with others. Yes. Mercy is one of them, and and all these work together. I'm convinced there are circumstances where you have permission to forgive someone, whether or not they ask or repent, and it may be good for both them and you under those circumstances.
0: Sometimes that's, that's true, Gary. I'm not disputing that at all. <laughs> that, that, or, or this man realizing and having mercy on his father uh, after, after living for a while longer and seeing this. It doesn't mean that what his father did is okay with God now and that it wasn't harmful. It just means that I'm not going to hold hold it against him because I try to understand. But uh, God,
2: God may look at that person in a different way when it when they come to judgment. And, and that's that's what I'm saying. There I are there are
0: circumstances. circumstances. So I, I, I would think you always be better off after you try after you after you try to make an attempt to fix a problem with someone or some situation. And it can't be done. multiple attempts and you can't get it fixed. Then you just have to let it go. And you have to forget it and go on. You don't say, oh, well, it's okay now. Years have passed, so it's okay. Or you don't say, what what he did was fine because I've forgiven him for that. That's not the way forward. That's not the way the Bible says to deal with human difficulties. It's a pattern that's laid out of expecting repentance and forgiveness and confronting people with the word and and you confronting yourself. Because sometimes when I confront someone else about what I think is their problem, guess what happens? Find I out find you. out my problem, don't I? Yeah. And so this and is that, the process. That's a that common occurrence. All. Yes, and that's that's part of the process, and I'm not denying that part of it. So that's why God demands that we approach it that way, rather than just saying, "Well, Christians should always forgive without ever being asked." I just don't believe that's what forgiveness is. I think we forget the element of repentance in there, and bringing people to repentance. That that's a part of it. So get so Jerry, we have got two minutes left. I would say oh, we're you, out of time. You're under obligation to forgive when someone has made an attempt to repent you're under but you're under obligation also to tell them the truth if they don't repent I think I think you ought to do your best to let that go and forget it and go move on learn the lesson and you're under no obligation to continue your relationship with someone under those circumstances uh, when they have hurt you and refused to repent I don't think you have an obligation to continue as if nothing ever happened before you you can move on you don't have to you can hold them at a distance and not be hurt again, but I don't think that you have you have to go on and act like nothing ever happened. Well, we got about a, a minute left or so. Uh, let's um, wrap this up. I, that's why I said in the beginning, this subject has quite a few twists and turns in it, and we ought to always remember how God has graciously forgiven me. Yes of our sins
2: never let that come out of your mind my, because right. that I think is the important part he, of he
0: even led me to repentance but God did not forgive me will not forgive me unless I repent
2: and, and, the, and turn
0: away from what I'm doing that's wrong and once I've answered
2: his conditions and tried to live my life if there are still <clears> things I do not understand I'm, God I'm has this, mercy on I, I, me have mercy and I need me. to have
0: mercy on myself on other people on I don't agree that. Well, our time is gone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you listening today. Tune in again next week at nine o'clock for We Are Just Christians. Thank you very much.
1: You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savota
0: Church in Port St. Lucie every Sunday at nine o'clock on WPSL Port St. Lucie.